Welcome to Vets Beyond the Uniform, a weekly podcast that focuses on helping veterans successfully find and integrate into new careers after leaving the military service. Listen in as our host and guest experts share key insights on the successful programs helping veterans to enter and thrive in the civilian workforce. For more information after the program, please visit us at VetsBeyondTheUniform.com. Let's get started. Hello, and welcome to the Vets Beyond the Uniform podcast. I am Mally Mancia, and joining me today, I have the founder, Paul Savalani, and co-founder, Dave Beadle from Vets Beyond the Uniform. Welcome, everyone. Um, today's episode, we'll be discussing the topic of creating a veteran-friendly organization. Hey, thanks, Mally. Hey, Dave. How's it going? Pretty good, Paul. How are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good. If I was any better, I'd be twins. Um, so, <laughs> there you go. You know, a lot of people approach us and say, what does it mean to be veteran-friendly? And I figured, you know, that's probably a good subject for our um, our podcast today because everybody wants to be vet-friendly and you know, they don't know what, the, what it takes to be a vet-friendly organization. And, you know, you, like, it's, like I've heard before, it's lip service. So I think today, guys, let's put vet-friendly under the microscope and really pull it apart what it means to be a vet-friendly organization, what it takes for that. Uh, Dave, what do you think? Well, you know, that's a, that's a really good question, Paul. And we started thinking about this when we were seeing a lot of conversations on LinkedIn and actual conversations we had with veterans. When they were, they were asked about this or when people talk about veteran-friendly, the term really had lost its meaning. And unfortunately, a lot of veterans were kind of viewing it as just companies throwing it out there as a marketing piece of lip service. Um, you know, case in point would be you go onto a company's website and they say, oh, we're vet-friendly. And you click on their career page and what do you see? You see um, photos on their website from um, stock images, uh, suppliers that are completely wrong in terms of uh, military service regulations. You've got people with beards, long hair, college, it's all this kind of stuff that just turns a, turns a veteran off. And so if the company says they're veteran friendly, it says, well, you guys can't even do the simple step of, of you know, making sure you got the right kind of images to represent us. That doesn't, that doesn't help us any. So we started wondering, is there a way for us to kind of maybe differentiate what's happening out there with veteran-friendly companies and try to bring back some actual tr- true meaning to what, um, what this term means? And we started to play around with different ways of stratifying what companies or employers could do that would, that would make difference. So when you look at a vet-friendly company, so to first all, I'll just talk a little bit about that. We think that there should be a lot of companies out there that are saying they're veteran-friendly. And, and companies may be in various stages of the journey in terms of how they're approaching the veteran community, but vet-friendly should be like the baseline. What is the baseline? And this relates back to something else that we've, we've been talking about on our webinars, which is the six key components for a veteran-friendly organization. So the first component first one or two components in that list really talk about how they do their defined hiring and how they're, how they're successfully integrating veterans into their company. Veteran-friendly organizations at the base level should, first of all, at least understand that the veteran talent pool is out there and that's something that they can really tap into, right? 
how are they then approaching that? Do they know where to find these people? Um, companies that are lucky enough to be located near military bases, that's pretty easy. But most across the United States are not geographically located near a military base. So where would they find the veteran talent if they recognize this as a talent pool? Um, how are their recruiters approaching this population? Do they even have any training um, to to talk to veterans? Because the veterans come out of the military um, sometimes struggle a little bit with translating what they did in the military into some terms that civilians can understand. So proper training can help those recruiters kind of bridge that gap a little bit. Um, also, too, when companies are looking at how they hire veterans, have they taken a look at their job descriptions? Um, you know, gosh, I know from my time in, in a Fortune 100 company, you get a, a an opening and particularly if it's nothing that, that turns over very quickly, you may be using the same job description from five, six, or more years ago. Has anybody taken the time to look at that thing and say, hey, is this still relevant now, particularly when we're looking at veterans? Are, are there things in this resume or this, this job description that might exclude people just because it's a, we're using it as a filtering tool? You know, that's, that's a good point. You know, so, Dave, so when I left the military – one of my first jobs, I don't talk about the first, first job because I ended up pushing a broom and they said they were hiring veterans and that was it. We won't talk about that on this call. But I worked for a large software organization and they thought they were veteran friendly. And I got to tell you, um, a very big organization, probably about 400 people, there might have been only two or three of us veterans in the organization. I mean, it didn't seem like it was a really, they thought they were vet friendly, but it really didn't seem um, that they had really strived to be vet friendly. I think it, it, I felt a lot that it was lip service as I walked around the organization and started talking with, you know, talking with the, the teams and the groups. There weren't a lot of veterans there. So, I mean, one, how do we help people get past this lip service of just putting a sign up and say, hey, we hire veterans? And isn't there also this benefits? I mean, I think people are missing the point. There's a lot of key benefits to bring veterans on board. Yeah, yeah, so... Two, two parts there that, I, that I'd like to address. Number one, you know, how do we how do we get companies to to kind of do this and step up? Well, a lot of it really is commitment. Um, there has to be a commitment from senior leadership to say we believe that the veteran talent pool is worthwhile. We want to bring them into our organization. We're doing it not just because it feels good, but because we think that they can have a real impact on our organization. I think that's where it really starts. Is is taking it past the altruistic. Yeah, we support veterans, great love of country, all that. We, we, we like that. But if, if you want to truly make sure that veterans have the opportunity to be successful in their careers at your organization, you've got you to take that next step and really commit to, to it and saying, are there things that we need to do on our end to make sure that that success happens? So that's, that's one. It's really a commitment from the senior leadership, ownership, depending on whatever the size of the company is. Number two, the benefits. Okay, there's a lot of stuff that's out there in terms of uh, tax credits that you can get. There's like the work opportunity tax credit. Um, everybody talks about the, the leadership training and skills that, that service members have, their work ethic. A great piece, if you want to see some really interesting ones, the, the Institute for Veterans and Military Family put out, the, the, the I think it was 10 different benefits of, of hiring veterans and service members, transitioning service members into your organization, not your, your suspects, I believe is what it was called. And it's a PDF that's out there. And it goes into a lot of really, really interesting things in terms of how they, uh, it, it delves deeper into the whole issue of teamwork. How do they adapt to 
uh, cross-cultural environments. How, how good are they at, at adapting? A lot of people don't know that veterans are used to really steep, fast learning curves. I mean, literally every two years, they're essentially learning a new job. I'm sure from your time in the Navy, Paul, you could, you could relate to that. I mean, I know your story is really interesting about how you started and where you ended up. Um, so give us, give us a little insight on that. Oh, are you talking about my military career or from leaving yeah, the military? military career. Yeah, military career. I was fortunate. Just to I kind mean, of highlight I went, that. I went in as an E1 and retired as a commanding nine. So I did have a lot of different experiences in the military. I worked on, you know, strategic weapon systems, cruise missile systems, and worked on a lot of those uh, advanced electronics and stuff. And, and kind of segue out, when I left the military, I jokingly said about a few seconds ago, was my first bro- job was pushing a broom at home base in Vista, California. Um, that was all I could find because, one, I didn't know how to, one, transition my skills over, which is altogether another topic for another podcast. But, two, it's I didn't know where to look. And this organization I was going to, this home base, and not knocking home base down, I don't think they're in business anymore, so whatever I say will never get to them, is that, you know, I started out pushing a broom, and when I decided to leave to go to this software company that I just talked about, one of the managers in the store said, well, I thought you joined here to become a leader. And it really took me back. I'm pushing a broom, and how, does, how did that work to equate to leadership? But, again, we did that in the military. So um, that was kind of my career and my path as I, as I came across. But, Dave, I wanted to talk about one subject, too. I hear it so often that, you know, people want to hire veterans. We want to bring veterans on board because they have this talent. They have this skills, leadership, communication, they're, they're, they're focused. But the next thing I hear after that is the however or the but, they're broken. You know, and, and I don't want to go against our, our, our postal brethren in that, but the old term is they'll go postal, they'll break down, they have PTSD, they, they'll go into a corner under stress, whatever the case may be. And I think that's a big fallacy when these organizations, you know, back to the lip service, they want to become veteran-friendly companies, but they're afraid to hire veterans because we bring the stigma with us. What do you think about yeah. that? Yeah, you know, and that's one of the things that we, we often um, get as a challenge from, from employers when we're looking at. And really the data is out there to support the way we respond to this. Number one, let's break down the term. It's post-trauma, post-traumatic stress, post-trauma. It's not post Somebody shot at me on uh, the war war zones in Afghanistan. It's post-trauma. So anybody who's experienced any type of trauma in their life from an automobile accident, from a heart attack, from losing a loved one, from uh, loss of job, fire destroys their home, any of those things are trauma. And if you look at your employee population and you compare that to the veteran population, the incidence of trauma and the incidence of people having PTS is the same. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it's a complete fallacy. Discount and discredit veterans uh, and, and not see them as a viable talent pool for that reason, because it's just not true. You've got just as many civilian folks in your employee population who are experiencing the same exact symptoms from post-traumatic stress as any military member you could run into. The only problem we see is, you know, when somebody does have an incident and it's a military-related individual, the news media plays it up. They don't yeah. play up the fact that, you know, somebody somebody went crazy and did something stupid because their house burned down a month ago. 
No, it's 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 uh, what was it? Don Henley uh, used to say it's dirty laundry, and that's what that's yeah. what the news gets. It's the dirty laundry. I think another key component of the veteran for a veteran friendly employer or any organization that's going to hire veterans is there needs to be an understanding that there is a culture difference. There is a key culture difference between a oh, yeah. military, the way we operated in the military and that the way a typical basic organization operates. Now that may be different for organizations that have been founded private, um, pretty much uh, government contractors that are founded by military veterans that are that are staffed by military veterans. Those types of organizations are typically an easy cultural fit from leaving the military to go into those organizations because there's really not a lot of change. There's just a little okay. bit of title change with that. Well, let's talk a little bit about culture differences between even let's say organizations like Qualcomm, uh, Pizza Hut, Joe's uh, or Crab Shack or those types of organizations. What needs to be put in place? Yeah, yeah, that's that's a great one too, and I think that's a that's an often overlooked, especially on the civilian side, but also too, I think that the veterans coming out don't appreciate those differences as much. So a couple of things in a very broad uh, stroke: differences between military and civilian. First of all, there's a, there's a tremendous amount of pay transparency in the military. You can go online right now and look up what every single service member is getting paid based on what their rank is. Now, individuals may get certain supplements based on what they're particularly doing, where they're stationed, whether they've got family, spouse, whether they're living on base, off base. But all those numbers are available for anybody to see. So if I'm an E5 or an E9, I know exactly what I'm getting paid. I know exactly what you're getting paid. That doesn't happen in the civilian sector. There's also um, the, the military is a hierarchical structure. Now, a lot of organizations, particularly when you look at um, high tech, life sciences, uh, they use more of a matrix structure, which is very foreign to a lot of people coming out of the military, especially if they spent you know, a long career in a hierarchical structure. There's also um, this, the, the challenges of um, expectations in terms of it's very, it was very clear pro career progression in the military, very clear. And oftentimes it's very muddy in the civilian sector. Um, and then when you talk about the cultural fit, just the way people do things, there's a great example, a great story I love to tell. And this goes back to, to my uh, days when I was at Qualcomm. So picture yourself as a, as a veteran. You've joined this Fortune 100 company, high-tech, engineering-dominated organization. You've been there about two weeks. Now, Qualcomm in San Diego, when I was there, was scattered over um, five square miles, 50-plus buildings. You could, have, you could have a meeting anywhere. So if you're, you're getting invited to your first team meeting, um, and it's at 10 o'clock in the morning. So as a veteran, and when I pose this question to most people, what are you going to do? Well, the first thing they're going to do is they're all going to figure out where the heck the meeting is at. They're going to probably go there the day before or even a couple days before, make sure they know exactly what room they're in, easiest route to get there. Is it in my building? Do I have to travel? Do I have to take a shower? They'd figure out all the logistics so they make sure that they get there on time. Now, here's the critical factor. What does on time really mean? If you're a veteran coming out of the military, on time yeah. means – at least 15 minutes early because if you get on time at 10 o'clock, you're late. <laughs> yeah. So this person is going to do all that research to make sure they know where they're going. They're going to show up the room in the room 15 to 20 minutes ahead of the hour, ahead of the 10 o'clock supposed start time. Here's where the cultural difference comes into play. The culture at this company 
stated that everybody would show up late for a meeting. So people don't start dribbling into the room until 10 after 10. So what does that do to the mindset of you, the individual veteran who is sitting here, first meeting, trying to make a good impression? You did all this work to get, make sure you were there, and you're sitting there cooling your jets for 25 minutes. Well, first of all, you're going to start have a lot of things going through your head like, you know, okay, did I, did I screw up somewhere? Did I get the wrong room? Are these people messing with me? You know, there's a little bit of that that kind of comes out of the military culture. You know, you kind of mess with the new guy. And then by the time people start strolling in at 10 after 10, your mindset in order to function in, again, a new environment which values collaboration and socialization over direct communication is not going to be very well suited to dealing with those folks. When they come in, you're going to say, okay, first of all, they've wasted my time. Now every meeting that I've got after this is going to be screwed up for the rest of the day. You're going to want to get to the point, get there quick, and people are going to turn and, and look at you like you've got a third eye going right out of your forehead because that's oh, yeah. totally opposite of that culture. So two cultural things that really screwed that person up is they didn't know about the, the time um, – sensitivity of meetings and how people treat them and they didn't know about how to how to function in a meeting particularly as the new person you've got to sit back in that kind of an environment let other people have their say get an opportunity to say your thing but you're not you're not directing to say this is what we need to do you says have we thought about this and then everybody has a chance to socialize the, the idea they may not even come out of there with with a course of action at that point in time which again is going to be something that's very foreign to folks from the military because they're used to a lot more rapid pace course of actions. This is what we do. This is what we need to do. Let's get over and get it done. Yeah. You, you talk about that and it goes back to when I was in E4 on uh, one of my first ships, uh, I was a few seconds late and I, I say seconds because uh, I really mean that. And this old gruffy uh, master chief comes up to me, he goes, shipmate, if you can't be on time, you'd be early. You understand me? And, and that was the model that I had to live for or followed for the rest of my career. You know, like you Absolutely. said, if, if the meeting's at 0900, I'm going to be there at 0845. And you know what? I'll find something to do for 15 minutes. Um, the, the other part of the culture that you talk about, and I learned this in that, not the first job I talked about, but the, the next the software company is I, I started working for QA and we, had, um, we were in the middle of a project release and it failed miserably. Um, and it, 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 they were behind schedule. They were over budget. They were just going crazy. And in this meeting, everybody is sitting there pointing fingers at each other. Well, it's his person. It's his fault or it's her fault. Or, you know what? It's, it's, um, the Q, it's the testing or it's the developers. And it was the most miserable experience that I had ever had leaving the military because in the military, we don't do that, right? It's broken. Yeah. Fix it. And then we'll do what we call the after-action report. Let's go find out why it broke, and let's not do that again. But they spent two hours blaming each other as to why we were failing instead of looking at um, the reason for the failure and fixing it. And to me, that was one of the biggest culture shocks that I had to deal with was I, I jokingly tell people it's a dog-eat-dog world, and you don't want to be wearing milk-bone underwear. It's, um, you just don't want to be in these meetings where somebody can chew you up. So I think right. culture is, is, a, is a big factor. Um, I, I think they need to focus on the culture. Yeah, and, it, and it's understanding just those differences. So we go back to the example that I talked about. What could the employer have done at the time? Two really simple, short conversations from somebody 
who maybe had been there and understood what that cultural difference was like somebody else who was already with the company had been there for a while prior military could mentor this person and say hey look I know what you're going to be doing, wanting to do, going to this meeting. Just be aware that everybody's typically 10 minutes late to meetings. And also, too, I know how you like to – you were used to doing things, uh, solving problems in the military. Just sit back in your first few meetings, kind of see how the <laughs> conversation goes, and don't jump in to try to provide a solution because that's just not how it works right here. That took yeah. me 30 seconds to communicate to, to you, yeah. and that's all it would have taken to eliminate a whole bunch of strife and a whole bunch of damage to the relationship with that veteran and their team that's going to take them a long time to overcome. Yeah, I agree. You know, I think creating a veteran-friendly organization, um, I don't think it's that hard, right? I mean, if, if you look at the veteran-friendly term, there are, we, we talk about these six key components, and uh, we'll have another podcast breaking down each component and really going into what that, that, that um, equates to. And you covered some of them on this, on this thing. But I think most organizations, if they really stop for a minute, look at the way they're operating today, maybe tweak their processes a little bit. Because when we talk about our podcast, you know, these six components, it's really not different than a normal HR operation running, putting an organization together. Oh, yeah. yeah. It, it's, it's tweaked, you know, maybe tweaked just slightly to, to bring the value of the veteran and how to, to maybe um, – modify some of your processes to, to work with the veterans, I, I think it's very, very simple. And I think a lot more organizations really should look at getting um, veteran-friendly uh, designated and, and qualified as a veteran-friendly organization. Yeah, yeah and, that, and that's a great point, Paul. That, you know, a lot of it is um, everything that we talk about really is best practices for HR uh, organization and onboarding process, regardless of whether you are targeting the, the veteran population for talent or not. These are things that companies should be doing. And again, what we try to do is we, when we put together the designations, we understand that this is a journey. So if an organization is just kind of in the very early stages of the journey, particularly small to medium-sized companies, um, they may not have a robust, large HR organization that can do all of this stuff. And they've been tasked by senior leadership to put on you know, the sixth or seventh hat, go out and find me veterans that we can hire. How can they then get started. So the veteran-friendly designation in that process really acknowledges the fact that they are kind of take that first step. And what do they need to do on the first steps? And I said identifying the talent, looking at their rec- their job descriptions, how are they training their recruiters? And then, the, you know, the other thing that's great about this is then that gives them potentially a roadmap when they look at, okay, how do we how do we then improve on this? So the next designations that we have are better ready and better, better focused. We can talk about those at another time. But we're here as veterans beyond the uniform to actually help people identify the roadmap to get to the next level, even if they're just starting out. If they're just starting out, they have no idea. I've been, I'm an HR person. I've got six other hats that I'm wearing, and I need to go figure out how to hire some veterans. What do I do? We can help out with that. We can yeah. sit down with you, have you go through the assessment initially, see, give, give an idea where you are, and then we talk about where you need to go. Sometimes it could be just a simple 15-minute conversation is all that's required. Other times you may need help and assistance putting together an entire veteran hiring initiative. We can help with any of that if you're looking to do that. But like I said, it's a journey. When you look back, that's the initial journey. 
then the next level, once you kind of get beyond the recruiting process, is how are you bringing the people into your organization? Then we start looking at the onboarding. We start looking at how are you putting together mentors? Are you leveraging the veterans you may already have in your organization to help the new people come in? And when we get to the top level, when we're talking about organizations that are better focused, they're the ones that are, this is the gold standard. They're doing everything possible to make sure that the veterans have the opportunity for career success, not just getting a job. And that's another big distinction we make with veterans beyond the uniform. We are not a transition organization. We are a transformation. So we help the veterans understand the challenges that they'll face as we help the employers understand the challenges they'll face. Veteran-focused organizations have robust programs in place to support veterans throughout their entire uh, life cycle as an employee from the attract, hire, all the way through the retain. So that end of it is really on the retention side. What are they doing to keep people there? How are they dealing with the cultural differences? How are they training not just their, their HR recruiting people, but how are they training the rest of their population? Because we know the numbers are 1% have served, 99% who have not. And those That's what you're going to find out. The 99% of your civilian population doesn't have a reference point for a lot of the cultural differences and things that come up with the veterans. So how are you training your general population so they understand yeah. these things? Those organizations are the ones that are doing it the best. And But again, it takes a while to get there, so it's a journey. Yeah, I agree. And for any organization out there that wants to, as Dave said, is that wants to find out where they stand with regards to veteran-friendly, you know, just, just go out and log on to vetsbeyondtheuniform.com. We have an employer section that talks a little bit about the certification, and we also have um, a designation section. You can see what organizations have been designated to receive vet-friendly right now. Um, that is growing on a daily basis. Right now we have waived the application fee to to give everybody an opportunity to um, to become designated. And as Dave also said, click the, click on the application form. Take a look at it. There's no obligation to, to do anything, but get a measure, get a metric and a baseline of where your organization stands today with regards to vet-friendly. So um, I think uh, – uh, Dave, thank you. I think it's been a great subject today. I think it's uh, – I always love talking about this type of stuff, and I love getting the word out that we're here to help veterans. And as you said, transformation is much different than transition. Exactly. Yeah, great. My pleasure. Happy to be here. Yes, thank you so much, Paul and Dave, for all the wonderful insight you have provided us with today on – our episode of Creating a Veteran-Friendly Organization. We do hope you enjoyed our show today. And as always, please feel free to check us out at www.vetsbeyondtheuniform.com. Or if you have any questions, we can be reached at training at vetsbeyondtheuniform.com. We hope you have a great day. And thank you for tuning in and listening. And that is our episode for the day.